0: Hey, that's pretty bad. The Raptors losing 104 to 88 in a game that I think I could only describe as if I wanted to be positive whatsoever. Performance art, maybe? Of the comedy variety or, you know, tragic comedy as Joshua Howe mentioned in my mentions and uh, Waiting for Godot comes up as like <laughs> a proper reference point. Blake Murphy also... Uh, opining that the, the Svidiot fits as well. I, I'm happy with either, but this Raptors game, 104-88, to 88, this was, it seems like, an earnest attempt for them to launch themselves firmly out of the top 15 in offensive rating. What a disaster. So many things in this game, from the possession where Precious situa didn't, it, another Raptor didn't touch the ball for like 14 seconds of game time and he was just dribbling like a madman around. He's inside the arc. He got his own rebound. He started dribbling again, and then he airballed. It was him and Svee Mihailuk on a fast break. Svee was wide open. He just had to do a shovel pass ahead, and Svee would have had a dunk. He just kept dribbling until the guy just came right over, knocked the ball out of bounds. Uh, I believe it's Josh Richardson was running up the court, and Chris Boucher, in what seemed like an attempt to play defense, just sprinted from the paint out to, like, almost the logo as far as depth of the court. It was logo depth and, like, the sideline. And Chris Boucher ran out there. And this is the thing. If you're sprinting towards somebody who's sprinting in the opposite direction, this is why football players chop their steps, people. What what do you think you're going to do? Is he just going to, like, slam the hell out of him? No. So... He slightly adjusts course and cruises right past Chris Boucher. And I mean, Chris Boucher did nothing. He just sprinted. He just, of his own volition, almost sprinted out of bounds. And I mean, wow, even the guys who are supposed to carry for the Raptors were not able to tonight, although Scotty Barnes is perhaps the lone bright star. And, you know... OG does his thing and will always do his thing. I thought his defense on Tatum was actually pretty excellent as far as you know, forcing misses and stuff like that. But here's the thing. The Raptors' scheme still dictates that they overload on Tatum. And so the Raptors, they weren't even really making use of OG's excellent defense because they were rotating so hard over or pinching in so hard that the wide open three was available to them anyway. And their defense was in such a scramble-heavy mode that guy's like, you know, it, it's not too surprising if a guy like Dennis Schroeder is extending the advantage, maintaining the advantage. You know, the rotation comes over, he pump fakes, he puts the ball on the floor, he generates more rotation of the defense. That's fine. But when it's like Grant Williams is getting into the teeth of your defense with a live dribble, not because he made a clever cut or something, you it is askew. The defensive scheme is not accomplishing anything it means to do. And for large stretches of the game, the Raptors weren't able to do that. To their credit, though, they did have a couple nice stretches where things did work out, and they played a very nice, aggressive brand of defense. But even with that brand of defense, and this is something that Lewis and I talked about on the Raptors Weekly podcast, and he said, oh, yeah, doesn't the... Don't the statistics, don't the studies return the you know consensus that long shots don't actually start transition? And when the Raptors were doing well, they were getting the Celtics to miss jumpers, and that didn't start transition for them either. So you're not getting that bump in offense. And 15 turnovers is not like a super small amount of turnovers for an NBA team, but it's a lot less than the Raptors like to generate. And then their points off of turnovers, are greatly affected by that. A transition team that needs to live there, that needs to offer, to board on the offensive end to survive any half-court possessions, just didn't have the juice in this one. I mean, they had six. Like, Ken Burch, who was the 100th percentile center or forward, I can't remember what he's logged at, could be both in uh, cleaning the glass. 100th percentile, pretty good. I guess that means you're the best. He wasn't there for this one, and Jalen Brown wasn't there for the Celtics. And the Raptors, my God, they just... Fell apart. And on the one hand, I talked about the guys who could have maybe helped carry the team that didn't. That's Fred Van Vliet. That's Pascal Siakam. That's OG Ananobi. OG of those three, I would say, was the most promising offensively. Just the whole game. And even then, the offensive process is not superb by any means. And this is partially his fault. And partially not his fault because the quirks and rhythms of how he got his shots when he was going well, when he had that really nice stretch and the Raptors were on a winning streak, they're different now. And he wasn't getting to settle into as many open shots. And he wasn't getting those catch and shoot opportunities that he was getting over that span of games. And it was more disparate. And he ended up missing all four of his attempted threes in this game. And when he did get the, okay, the push, To get to the bucket, they were too few and far between, although he was definitely the best of the quote-unquote big three for the Raptors. Really disappointing game for Pascal Siakam in that he failed to take advantage of the inherent advantages that were given to him early on in the game. When the Celtics were spaced out and he would see a guy coming in help side rotation, yes, but they weren't necessarily packing the paint. It was just Robert Williams looming. And when Siakam would have like Schroeder or Josh Richardson on him, his handle wasn't tight enough that he could take advantage of the space and physicality, you know, because he should be able, he should be a significant physical threat against those guys. He should be able to bully his way into positions that compromise the defense, make passes from there, or go straight up and finish. And his handle failed him in where he was able to transport himself to And then by the time the game, by the time he'd come back into the game, the Celtics started packing the paint and he's not really like Luka Doncic or LeBron. He can't jump stop in the lane and start navigating with like pivots and ball fakes and all that kind of stuff. That's not Pascal Siakam's game, not truly. And so he just, that's not, he's not going to generate offense in there. He's not going to get like fakes and stuff like that, but he's still gotten the paint and he started making passes to his you know, teammates who were just missing jumpers. And that's the big thing, right? That's what a lot of people will remember from last year is that these Raptors were super, super dependent on the three ball. And there were times where it just looked like they were just lopping them up there, just throwing them up there and not actually making them. And then they had no alternative because the rim pressure, even if a guy like Pascal or OG attempted to get downhill, the other team was packing the paint. And so it's like the chicken or the egg, right? What comes first? They just... Ram their way into the rim, and then by proxy of that, create more open jump shots, or do they just start hitting the jump shots that are available to them? And the answer in this game, after eighty-eight points, was uh neither. And to Scottie Barnes' credit, he hammers away at it more so than basically any other player in the NBA. Like his his putback percentage is enormous, and he really grinds at it, and he tries to get to the bucket and he did in this game and that helped the raptors immensely but 88 points is 88 points they could not score the ball and and I'll say this too because I was I was obviously disappointed with Siakam particularly passing in the air I think he had three turnovers just from passing while airborne this goes back to last year he leaves his feet well not last year his whole career actually is since he's been attempting to become more of a passer he leaves his feet He turns the ball over. It happens all the time. He's not like John Morant. He's not like one of those small guards with this rock hard torso and like their core is so strong that they can really fling things from there. No, he's a long, spindly guy. And so when he extends out and is in air, his passes have a lot of they way less heat on them. And he's not getting the defense in enough rotation that these reads are just so simple and easy. Occasionally. Yes, but a lot of the times he's trying to fit the ball through tight holes to get, you know, these open shots. He's trying to make, like, skip passes. He's trying to feed it through tight areas, and it doesn't have the zip because he's, he's airborne. It's tough to manipulate the ball with a lot of force on it when you're airborne. You have nothing to push off against. You are suspended, Pascal. It is just you're pushing from your core. That is where your strength comes from in this, in this situation. You have nothing. You are not ground-bound. You're suspended in air. Anyway, I'm belaboring this point, obviously. But if he could just, when he picks the ball up and goes to pass, if he could jump stop in the lane, and I know I said he's not Luka, he's not LeBron, and he isn't, but when he's in motion and he's going and the defense isn't truly packed in there, if there's one guy on him, jump stop into an open spot on the floor, see how they respond, And if not, you're in a dangerous area for like a push shot. I still believe in his touch. It'll come around, I think. And the defense should respond to that. If they don't, reset. But at least it's something other than what you're doing currently, which is most of the time just turning the ball over. On a more positive note, though, I thought he was fairly tremendous defensively. His court coverage his ability to solve problems defensively that other players are making, like they are making mistakes and Pascal is erasing them. It is happening extremely often. He's pointing guys out where to be. He's helping maintain the shell. He's quarterbacking. And the defense wasn't really the problem in this game. It was the offense, of course. Don't, 104 points is not high caliber, high octane in the NBA. The Raptors defense, you can be upset that they perhaps you know, pinch too hard, give up too many open looks and scramble a bit too much. Totally. That's fine. That makes sense. It's, it's a, an up and down defense for that reason because once the team figures out the quirks and rhythms of these rotations, they know how to attack it and manipulate it to the point of no return. That The straw on the camel's back, it snaps. And so the Celtics, they figured out how to do this with, you know, Tatum at the, at the helm of it. But Pascal saved a lot of possessions with his court coverage his ability to cheat in the right areas i i thought he was awesome and a a guy like gary trent jr who once again you know sticky hands he 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 got zero steals in this game but the deflections are still off the charts but the spacing defensively and the rotations like when they're scram switching or when they're getting a guy and you have to rotate over and then get to the other side of the court like that type of court coverage for Gary in this game was not strong at all. And not really for Scotty Barnes either, which is obviously more forgivable for Scotty because he's a rookie. And these types of rotations are not commonly made on the smaller college court. It's just, you know, and colleges play a lot of zone colleges. They play smaller because the shooting isn't as good. Them's the breaks. So Scotty's still adjusting to this stuff. And, You know, Fred and Pascal and OG, I thought were lifting a lot of weight defensively. And to their credit, you know, the Celtics, this could have run a lot higher, but because of some outstanding uh, defensive stretches, the Raptors kept themselves in it to where their offense, if it had been better, may have gotten them into, you know, a winning position, a puncher's chance, but the offense just wasn't good enough to ever get to a point where, you know, they they got within ten. But that felt like 16, man. It did not feel like it was an attainable thing. The Raptors were having such a tough job scoring offensively and yeah. Uh, Other musings, I mean, Delano Banton, they've started to change what it looks like when he's at the top running stuff because over the first few games, obviously you can tell that Delano Banton is effective in transition and he's a good cutter. He has a good nose for the ball and in these read and react plays, he can make good decisions. Totally. But as far as creating advantage and getting the other team's defense into a compromised position, that's not really his strong suit. A lot of times when they'd run pick and roll or these handoff plays for him, and God, do the Raptors love handoff plays, uh, he'd get locked above the break. He can't get downhill. He He's not super, super athletic. You know, he's, he's a funky player who's trying to combine some unique traits, skills, and, you know, of, and he's fun. He's good. I enjoy him. But the Raptors, they've already tweaked it so that they're sending a lot of cutters into the middle of the floor because they know Banton with his height. He can put a little bit of zip on it. Those plays started to look better early on. And so, not a huge thing, but just a, a difference in how they're utilizing Banton. Oh, my Lord. Uh, Svi, you know, it, the shot making in this game was better. Once again, like similar to OG, he, he has a great nose for transition. He'll be the hit ahead guy quite often. And but the decision making in this one, I still thought was really poor. It was like if the ball was in his hands, don't expect it to go anywhere else. Yeah. Precious at you. Uh, good Lord, man. <laughs> this was a tough game. He, he did a lot of different stuff and most of it was just bad. Just not good at all. There's some funky rotations out there, man. And offensively, it was like I, I you it would be tough to understand what the offensive you know, the thought process was, you know, on these on these different plays. And I just this game seems fairly simple to me from an analysis standpoint, like the the Raptors pinched too hard sometimes. And yes, they gave up open threes. And when they were scrambling, they did not maintain the shell of the defense well enough. And it allowed for further breakdowns. But towards the end of the game, I think it was fairly easy to tell that the Raptors had figured out what they wanted to do defensively, and it was truly just some, I I would say, quite strong shot making from the Celtics that allowed them to keep pushing forward, you know, and to their credit, they pushed the lead higher, and to the Raptors, you know, chagrin, so that's all you can say there, and the Raptors, as far as like the hustle stats and anything like that, a team that has absolutely lived in transition, in turnover percentage, opponent turnover percentage, and on the offensive glass, not having that punch and not punching above their weight as a defensive rebounding team, the 12 rebounds that the Boston Celtics got in this game really, really hurt them. And especially early on when it was like they'd have a good defensive possession and then it would end up in Robert Williams' hands. Time Lord was, you know, turning back the clock and finding... The exact right read off the rim. I think he had, yeah, he had eight offensive boards. And, I mean, when you do that, when a guy can just live in there and clean up those misses, I mean, teams have played the Raptors and kind of been like, what the hell? Kem Birch. Uh, Robert Williams did that to the Raptors. And just not a lot went well. It was pretty clear. I already talked about the offensive woes. I don't want to talk about this game that much anymore. This was an absolute bungle. It was not good. A bungle... In the Garden of the TD Variety. Uh Reggie Evans Award. Let's give it to Scotty Barnes. I mean, the guy always works really hard. He put the work in tonight. More so than anybody else, I would think. And it's just, hey, Scotty Barnes, Reggie Evans Award winner. That's who I'm giving it to. Top quick reaction comment from Red Van Vliet. Quote, we lost, but Scotty's incredible, so I'm still happy. End quote. Hell yeah, brother. Scotty makes these games a lot more watchable, as does the shift of intention or or perception, right? Where you say, OK, maybe I just have to laugh at these like outrageous plays that are being made on the floor. And that was that was the decision I went with. And along with that was, hey, I'll just watch Scotty and how he interprets space and finds his way into shot making opportunities and how You know, while he's out of, you know, out of position all the time defensively, his length and his motor gets him back into spots where he can affect shots and affect uh, ball handlers and stuff like that. And that's, that's all great. So yeah, big shout out to Scotty. But I think that's it for me. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it more than the game. I hope you had a couple chuckles because I certainly did uh, during the podcast and during the game. But whether you got into this in the morning or at night. Have a blessed day and goodbye.